Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk About It. This is your host, Taylor, and I hope you all are enjoying Masturbation May. I know there are so many things going on in the world and probably a lot of things happening in your own personal life, but hopefully you are able to make space and prioritize your own pleasure, which you do nothing to earn because you just deserve it just as you are. So I'm really excited about today's guest. I want to introduce you all to Dr. Heather. You might already follow her on Instagram. She is a board certified uh, OBGYN currently practicing uh, in New York City um, in the Bronx area. She has over 10 years of experience in the medical field. She recently just did a um, AOC had posted her and they were collaborating on a project. Um, She just really does so much. She worked uh, in the United States Army me as an OBGYN for about eight years um, and just really excited to finally have her on and, and share her uh, with those of you who aren't already familiar with her. So be sure to check out her Instagram linked in the notes and I'll stop talking so that we can get our guest on. So let's talk about it. Welcome Dr. Heather to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Well, I'm glad to be here. Yeah. I, first of all, I've just been girl crushing on you on Instagram for, I don't even know how long, like everything you put out, I'm just like, oh, oh, I feel this. I'm like, oh, people need to hear this. So (laughs) thank you so much for all the work that you do put in on Instagram to help educate people on all the women's health, all the sexual health, all the vaginal health, wellness things that we are robbed of in our education. We really are. So, I mean, I'm just happy to be able to do that for everyone. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we can continue this vagina speaking party. <laughs> As yeah. I like to say, we got to speak on our vaginas and it's okay. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, and I was wondering if you could share a little bit of like what the work is that you do today, like, and what that looks like. You work in a hospital right now. Um, if you could just share a little bit of like what your day-to-day work looks like. Yeah, sure. So I currently work at New York City Health and Hospitals here in New York City. I work in the Bronx. I'm from the Bronx. So it's really nice to be back in my community and helping out like literally the people who helped me be who I am. Mm. So my normal day to day is actually kind of different every day. So I do work in a hospital, um, but I do a lot of different things. So some days, the whole day I'm seeing patients in the office, in the clinic, um, all different types of patients, patients who are coming in with vaginal issues like itches, mm-hmm. discharges, et cetera. Um, then for some other um, people, I'm seeing them in the prenatal period. So they're mm-hmm. for their prenatal care. So making sure their babies are okay, things like that. And then I see people for like normal um well appointments. So it's just like your pap smears and things like that. And then other Mm -hmm. times I see people who are having issues with like bleeding and stuff like that. Mm. So that's one end of things. Then some days I'm on labor and delivery and Mm -hmm. I'm taking care of patients who are in labor about to have a baby. I deliver babies. So that's part of my whole spiel during the week. And then another part, I also do GYN surgeries. So like Mm -hmm. if you have a cyst on your ovary and it needs to be removed, I'm one of those people who do that. I do hysterectomies where we remove your whole uterus, you know, things of that nature. So Mm -hmm. um, I'm kind of a multifaceted woman at work. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say that's a lot of different things. It's like the whole realm of vagina care. (laughs) Yeah. Basically anything that has to do with the reproductive, you know, pelvic organs, um, uterus, fallopian tubes, ovaries, and any products of those like babies, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's what I take care of. Yeah. And was this something that you always knew you wanted to do growing up? Yeah, for the most part, yeah. So for the most part, I um, wanted to, I knew I wanted to do something related to women's health and reproductive health. So I kind of, I didn't know if I wanted to see patients like one-on-one or if I wanted to see um, people like whole groups, you know, like take care of population health. So Mm -hmm. it kind of evolved into, oh, I really do like taking care of 
you know, everyday people with vaginas and uteruses and such. But I still, in my capacity on social media, take care of kind of like the whole community, the whole group, the collective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you take care of me. So thank you. I know, I know. (laughs) Um, And I mean, I'm wondering if you can speak to a little bit of just kind of what your educational experience was like. I don't think, I, I think there are more like female OBGYNs, but I don't think there are a ton of OBGYNs who are women of color um, yeah. or even that are black women. So um, I'm wondering if you can speak to kind of what your experience was throughout education. Yeah. So what's really interesting about kind of growing up in a community like you know, the one that I did Mm -hmm. in the Bronx is that, you know, you see doctors, nurses, things like that, but you don't necessarily see a lot of people who look like you. Mm -hmm. And so for me, um, it was kind of a lofty goal that (laughs) became a reality. I was like, I want to be a doctor. And that was really, um, like a lot of people were like, oh, okay, that's what the kids say. Cool. Yeah. You know, but I feel like they didn't think I was serious or they didn't think it could seriously happen for me. Mm-hmm. But um, for me, I just kind of had a great group of mentors. So mm-hmm. went to high school and still was like, I think I want to do something that has to do with healthcare. And I had a whole bunch of people in my life that were like, go for it. And mm-hmm. um, so I went to undergrad, I went to University of Pennsylvania through, you know, again, God's will maybe or whatever, (laughs) who knows what happened. Um, And through there, it's just like meeting a whole bunch of people who were Mm -hmm. like-minded. And I was still kind of confused. Like, I was like, I don't know, like, if I want to be, again, seeing patients, Mm -hmm. I don't know if I want to deal with sick people. I don't know if I want to touch sick people or if I want to be with, or I want to take care of groups. So after college, I actually did research um, for um, couples who were African-American couples where one partner's HIV positive and the other Mm -hmm. one isn't, and they weren't using safe sex practices. And we ended up using this like behavioral intervention to try to get them to use safer sex practices. And through that work, I actually became really interested in women's health and empowerment because I found that so many women who were in these relationships, they were heterosexual couples. Mm -hmm. Um, They were HIV negative, but they didn't know how to protect themselves. They didn't know so many things about their bodies. And I wanted to help them know more about that. And then I was also interested in kind of like the disease processes, you know, because it wasn't just that, you know, people living with HIV, but they had lots of other things going on. So Mm -hmm. it was really interesting that work that I did and that really solidified my desire to go to med school. So I applied while I was there, ended up going to med school and I went to med school in New York City in the Bronx, like close Mm -hmm. to where I'm from. So that was just such an awesome experience because it was like, here I am like taking care of people in my community. And I think it was really awesome for people in my community to be like, yo, I know her. She's literally from here or like even if they don't know me personally they're like you totally understand what you know Mm -hmm. like I'm talking about because I took the same subway train to school to work to whatever you know been to the same grocery stores like Mm -hmm. did the same things and so it's it's one of those things where we have to kind of normalize and not make it kind of like here you are as an exceptional person from this community who's made it. Like, no, there's so many people I know who are super smart, super capable Mm -hmm. and able to be able to be doctors or lawyers or, you know, like the next Bill Gates. Bill Gates is on my mind because of his current (laughs) marital status issues. But, you know, like there's so many people who are so capable. We are not less capable than anyone else. A lot of it is access or even just... knowing that we can do it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And having people to tell us, no, like, don't dream small, like go for it. You think Mm -hmm. you can go, you know, you want to be an astronaut? Like, seriously, look into it. You can do it. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like you really did have that supportive community around you to help encourage you and, you know, not let that be just 
one of the things that, you know, the kids are saying, I'm going to be a doctor when I grow up. I'm just like, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, like actually do it. What was really interesting is I had an uncle who bought me a a microscope set when I was like, I think like 11 or something like that. Mm -hmm. Because like I have one other doctor in my family and that's actually my uncle. He came from Nigeria when I was like a baby. He was like 18 years old. Mm -hmm. My parents helped like pay for him to go to college here. Mm -hmm. And he was like, think I want to be a doctor and they didn't stop him and so he was in med school um he's actually an MD PhD so he's like Mm -hmm. uber smart and he was in med school for pretty much my whole childhood (laughs) well like that the parts that I can remember and I remember he just was really like encouraged me and he bought me this microscope set where it was like I felt like I was cool like him because he used to like take us to his lab and like whatever and I was like this is so cool now I have like a lab in my house So, you know, it's like people encouraging random things like that. You never know Mm -hmm. how that's going to impact like the people who come after you. So it's super important to never like, you know, don't limit yourself and don't limit the the kids. Mm -hmm. It can happen. Yeah. That's so beautiful and so true. And yeah, I mean, I think so much of our future does also very much depend on the amount of support and belief that we have in us with our social groups. Um, Exactly. Exactly. And then like another big thing too, that I have to hand it to like my parents and stuff like that. So like at any point where, you know, you, you hit roadblocks, right? Because mm-hmm. I mean, it's not to say that I love how it's like my story. I, I, I summed it down to a very kumbaya, like it was yeah. so great. And like, everybody was so supportive and I like made it guys. And like, yeah, I went to this school and I did this research and then I went to this and other then I was school. Like, oh my God. Oh, trust me. Like, I remember when I went to college first, my first advisor was like, and I'm like, well, I'm thinking I might want to go to med school. I don't know. It was first semester of college, like sight unseen of grades or anything like that. My advisor at the time was like, you should think of something else. And I'm like, what? Like, you know, it was very strange because I'm like, you don't know anything about my abilities. You have not seen a grade from me. You have nothing, you know, nothing about me. And your first inclination was to tell me, no, you should probably think of doing something else. And then like, like, you know, yeah, exactly. And it's like, why is that? Why did you think that, you know? Mm -hmm. And then like, even just throughout my career at different points, like, Med school was pretty chill because, again, I went to school in the Bronx. Very, very, um, I feel like the people who were teaching me, all of the, like, my mentors that were doctors, the professors, they were just, it was a very interesting educational experience because I feel like they were so supportive of, like, what I was trying to do. So it was like, I have nothing but great things to say about that. Mm -hmm. But I feel like after that, you know, during residency training early on in my career, it was, it was nuts. It was nuts. It's like, you know, the whole adage where we have to work twice as hard Mm -hmm. and we're not seen as doing enough, like definitely came through there where it's like, you know, some of like the work that I did as a resident or whatnot, where it's like, I never had any issues learning or, you know, academic issues or whatever. But like, I feel like at the end of the day, they were like, oh, she just made it. And it's like, what? Like, I stayed up all night. Like, my colleagues who are not as complex, like, not as dark complected as me or whatever, mm-hmm. sleep, can answer questions wrong, can do this. And I'm like, up all night, like, in the books, because I'm like, y'all are not gonna catch me slipping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And it's a, de- a different experience. And also, like, the level of anxiety sometimes you have just like, mm-hmm. You don't want to be that person that they can say is less than and then try to attribute it to your race or your sex or like what your background, your, you know, your background is like whether you came from money or not. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I never wanted that to be a thing. And so, yeah, you're like, okay, gonna like flip through these books and try to learn all of gynecology again for the 50th time, like overnight, because you're just Mm -hmm. scared. You don't want to be that person, you know, Mm -hmm. you don't want to be, you don't want to fail. Yeah. Well, because from jump, people are still just trying to discredit you or, you know, invalidate your intelligence. Um, I mean, 
I know I've experienced that from being very young, graduating, um, getting my license at a very young age of, you know, literally before anyone even saw my uh, capabilities as a therapist of like, well, I don't really think that she is a therapist. I don't really think she should or could be right. a therapist because like you couldn't actually name why sometimes it was my age, but it's like, no, yes. there's other things here that like intimidate you about me and about oh, yeah. my confidence and my abilities that you don't really think I should have. Right. No. And it's so it's, it's, you hit the nail on the head with that, where it's like, a lot of times they can't name what it is because yeah. you're like, cause that, cause it's like one of these like things in the back of my mind, I always had, I'm like, I don't want to give them a reason to say that I'm not like that. I don't deserve the spot. Yeah. Like, I don't want to give anybody a reason. I don't want to fail things. I don't want to, you know what I mean? And it's, it's so like, it can be so harmful to you because it puts mm-hmm. so much pressure on you. Right. Exactly. But like, you know, but the haters are going to hate anyway. Right. Like as I keep saying, haters going to hate anyway, they will still find mm-hmm. a reason where you're like, but that's not really a reason though. Like, yeah. and what it comes down to, it's like, you know, age, race, sex. And again, you know, your background a lot has plays a lot to it. Mm-hmm. So like one, one thing I remember very well was like early uh, and I'm not even that old and like not that far in my career, mm-hmm. but like I'm entering like the next phase where I'm not like the newbie, new kid on the block mm-hmm. anymore, which is kind of sad. Cause I like being yeah. like, Oh, you know, like I'm just an ingenue, yeah. like whatever. I can't do that anymore. I'm like now in like the like middle part, I guess, or whatever, mm-hmm. or starting that part. But I remember like, so I show up to my first job out of residency, right? And mind you, I was in the military, so there's that mm-hmm. part. Yeah. But like, you know, I still have flair. Mm-hmm. I've never lost that flair. So on my um, operating room days, I would wear like literal, literal glitter sneakers. Like I got these sneakers on Amazon that are coated in rose gold glitter because why the hell not, right? Yeah. Like, why not? Like yeah. all of my patients, loved it mm-hmm. <laughs> because like you're stressed out and then you look down at your surgeon yeah. shoes and you're like, is that glitter? And I'm like, yes, it is. Yeah. It is glitter. Cause we need a little razzle dazzle today. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right? Let's bring some glitter to this hysterectomy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like why not? Right. Why don't people do that more often? But you know, that's neither here nor there. So it's like, here I am high ponytail glitter shoes, <laughs> whatever showing up to the party. And I felt like, a lot of my colleagues who were male because like um, in the military and then where I was stationed um, was a little bit more old school in that respect. Mm-hmm. And so there were more male docs. I was a, for a, a period of time. I was the only female OBGYN in the town that I was in. Oh boy. Isn't that strange, right? Oh. Like, <laughs> that's not usually a thing, but yeah. it was. And so I would go to the like department meetings and it would be crazy because it's like, oh, sweetie, oh, honey, like, if I'm bringing up a concern about, like, an issue we have with patient care or um, anything that's going on with the department, you know, anything that we bring up in these normal meetings where I'm like, I'm here, I'm bringing up Mm -hmm. what we should be talking about, I was definitely not taken as seriously as my male colleagues. And it was crazy because the midwives in our um, department were able to come to these meetings. They were more seen but not heard. So I think it was a while since they had female voices at these meetings. Mm -hmm. So I was a female voice. And even the midwives, they were the ones who also made, like, I I really appreciated them because, you know, you think something and you're like, maybe I'm just being sensitive. Maybe I'm Mm -hmm. just like reading too much into it. And they were like, the internal self-policing that happens yes yes Mm -hmm. and they were like girl like how come they were like cutting you off every time you started speaking or like the honeys and the sweeties and whatever and and it's crazy because that was like what four years four or five years ago this is not like back Mm -hmm. in the 80s or back in the 70s or whatever this is literally like four or five years ago (laughs) that that was happening you know Mm -hmm. and probably still is happening to anybody who's come after me so like it just seeing that stuff up front and close, like, and seeing that you can't like study your way out of it or achieve your way out of it was just very instructive, I think. And that's another reason why I decided to kind of 
um, get this social media platform going because I want people to also see some validation in that. Like, you know, like you're going to, you, you may be in similar situations that I have been, or, Mm -hmm. you know, are in currently and no, your, your thoughts are valid. What you're experiencing is valid. And, you know, we're all out here just trying to, you know, we're struggling. We're trying to make things happen. And so yeah. you shouldn't feel like you're the only one encountering any difficulty or anything like that. Mm-hmm. That's another reason to show that there are normal people like you doing these things as well and experiencing a lot of the things that you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it, I mean, it's, I think it speaks volumes because this doesn't happen in a vacuum. Like those other colleagues speaking to you in the way that they did, that's going to spill over to whatever patients they have as well. Um, you know, and, and it just, it, it flows over everywhere. It does. It does. And that's such a great point too, because it has really shown me as someone who like kind of has broken like that, like, that door, that like invisible door, like Mm -hmm. where it's like to see the other side of things and then see how we get to these doctor patient interactions that Mm -hmm. can be so harmful to people. I can see it where it comes from now, because I'm like, if you're talking to me like this and you know that I have an MD and you know that like I train just the same way that you did, I can only imagine what you're saying and how you're treating people who you don't necessarily think have the same educational abilities. So it's really instructive. And that's why like one thing I like to talk about on my social media platforms is that like, no, like it's not in your head. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. it's not in your head. Like, you know, sometimes what the, what, what's being told to you or some of the, the ways people are interacting with you is exactly Mm -hmm. like, what you think they are because I think a lot of times there's like medical gaslighting because absolutely. Yeah. Because it's like, Oh, but I didn't say that, you know, but I didn't like, you know, like say anything racist or sexist or whatever, but it's like your tone, like Mm -hmm. the phraseology that you use definitely lets me know Mm -hmm. what you think. So I think that having a doctor tell you too, like, Hey, it's not in your head. There are people who Mm -hmm. are not taking your concerns seriously is important so that people can heal from those interactions and hopefully like also start a conversation with my colleagues. Like, Hey, we have to do better. Mm -hmm. We have to do better. Do you not see, like, one of the big things I love to show people, even at work or, like, you know, if I'm having conversations with other docs, like, kind of, like, off social media, Mm -hmm. where I'm like, hey, like, you think that it's in people's heads or people are blowing things out of proportion? Take a look at my comment section. Yeah. (laughs) Take a look at what everybody's saying, because, like, all of these people have very similar, like, experiences, and they're Mm -hmm. from all different parts of the country and sometimes world. So. Clearly, it's not a one-off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been told, you know, when I go in for a specific issue or potential infection with my vagina or vulva that like, you know, the doctor will say something and I'll be like, ah, I don't know. It doesn't really feel like that. And it's like a, oh, well, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years and it's like, oh, <laughs> okay. Right. I guess they just don't know her own body then. Okay, cool. Right, right, (laughs) exactly. Um, And then also too, I just think for me, it's like explain your rationale. Saying because mm -hmm. I said so is not okay. I didn't respond to that well as a child. (laughs) Neither did I, neither did I. Most of us didn't respond well to you have to do this because I said so. Mm-hmm. We didn't. So that goes on further in life. So as an adult, people yeah. do not respond well to, oh, take this medication because I said so. This is what is happening to you. This mm-hmm. is what disease process I think is happening to you because I said so. Even if like, you know, you really do think it's that disease process or you really do think that this patient will benefit from this mm-hmm. treatment course or medication, explain how you got there. Yeah. Explain it. Do not think that, 
like people are not capable of understanding that. And mm-hmm. if you can't explain it to people in the way that they can understand it, maybe you should look more inward and less outward because that's like the first thing I always start mm-hmm. when people are like, well, you know, like, I, like, I don't think they're going to understand it. Well, then what are you saying? Yeah. <laughs> because there is always a way to explain something for people yeah. to understand. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, (laughs) it's not okay. It's like if somebody doesn't speak English, right, we Mm -hmm. now have it solidly in our medical practices, right? And it's like, you need to get a translator and like an appropriate, a proper translator to translate for that patient into a Mm -hmm. language they can understand. If there are forms they need to sign or consent forms, things like that, that they need to sign and they don't speak English, we need to have consent forms in their language so that they can have informed consent and consent for that. To me, that goes with health literacy as well. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's appropriate to tell somebody, okay, your only option for this issue, this bleeding issue you're having is a hysterectomy. Yeah. And not thoroughly explain their options in language they can understand, explain what the surgery entails in language they can understand. Because to me, you're speaking a different language. Yeah. Yeah, it's English, but it's not the English that we all learned from growing up. Like medical yep. terminology is Yeah, out no, there. I've had that where like I've been told I have a yeast infection, even though it doesn't feel like a yeast infection. Mm-hmm. And she's talking about the like yeast particles underneath the microscope <laughs> and the number. And I'm like, what the fuck are you even talking about? <laughs> like, I don't know anything of what you're saying. Like, it exactly. Just- <laughs> right. Like, cause that's my thing. I'm like, let's be practical about this. Mm-hmm. Like, like health literacy is a thing. And that's kind of another reason why I wanted to like be active on social media, be active, like on the internet, mm-hmm. because Okay, like most of our available information about a lot of things that happen to vaginas and vulvas and uteruses and all of that stuff is either like Mayo Clinic, WebMD, which is like, again, I think not very layman term friendly. And then also scares you to think that you're (laughs) like have cancer going to die. Because trust me, before I was in med school, I was a WebMD girl. I went on WebMD and I was like, and I would like be in tears sometimes. I'm like, I'm going to die. Like I'm going to die. I have cancer. I'm going to die. And then it would be like, go to the doctor and they're like, what have you been reading? That's no. (laughs) Or it's like people who you know, have had their personal experiences, which I'm not going to invalidate that because we all have experiences personally that are valid and that can help people. But the thing about it is that we're not all the same, right? Yeah. So what happens is that, okay, like someone who, you know, starts a blog or has, you know, an IG Mm -hmm. account who may be suffering from something similar than you are, um, you know, puts posts and talks about in language that you can understand what's going on with them and their treatment course. And you're like, well, that's it. That's what I need. That's, you know, and that's not fair to you either because that is that person's experience and yours may be different and they don't have access to your medical records and Mm -hmm. you don't have access truly to theirs. So it may be hard for you to like know if you should take that advice or you Mm -hmm. should listen to what they said or whatever, because you're not the same. Right. Yeah. And so like, I just felt there needed to be something in the middle, like where Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, like WebMD and Mayo Clinic and all of these like (laughs) websites are like somewhat hard to understand and Mm -hmm. really are hard to kind of parse through. And then there's a lot of like um, people out there who are talking about their personal experiences with everything and are being really good with advocating for people and advocating for, um, you know, like more knowledge about these subjects and try to make it more accessible. But then again, it's personal experiences. So I wanted something that was a little bit in between where it's like, you can understand it, 
a little bit better. You can at least know what kinds of questions you should ask your medical provider about mm-hmm. what's going on with you and take it from there. So that's where, where that's the sweet spot I've been trying to achieve where it's like, mm-hmm. okay, like here's your like tidbit of information. Hopefully with the struggle twerk and <laughs> a little like fun music, you can understand it better. Mm-hmm. And hopefully it like also sparks some, you know, yeah. curiosity too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm wondering if we can switch gears a little bit here to talking about um, some specific like vaginal things um, and sharing a little bit of your like educational um, knowledge and and experience here. Um, One thing that like, I don't think I've ever really talked about on the podcast um, is this whole discussion around the hymen and in, in last week's episode, we were discussing purity culture and um, how that relates to masturbation. And oh, yes. something that I've just kind of been sitting with, you know, was like, oh, this concept of like, if you use a tampon, then like you're all of a sudden breaking your hymen and you're no longer a virgin and all of that ickiness. Um, if, if we can talk a little bit about the hymen sure. and like how that actually works. So, yeah. So the thing about the hymen is that it's just a part of your body, right? It's mm-hmm. a part of the body. So like not to get all like nerdy and sciencey, right? I'm going to like keep it brief, but basically like, it's really interesting how um, the female reproductive tract kind of gets to be as it is. It basically like is like two parts that fuse together and then it's like a whole bunch of tissue and then it kind of all kind of disintegrates grades in a way. And then we have remnants of things, right? So the hymen is kind of a remnant um, towards the external part of your vagina, like so closest to the outside Mm -hmm. um, that usually um, is kind of a whole sheet across the vaginal opening, like not like on it, but like a little bit in, in internal mm-hmm. to that. And as you get older, it gets smaller and smaller, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes when people first have sex, sometimes when they play sports, sometimes when they use a tampon, sometimes when they are just walking down the street, that can break a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. And so now that opening that was once covered over, like when you were a baby, that then became less covered over. um, Mm -hmm. And there was like kind of like a ring there, like what we call the hymenal ring, um, that tissue can break, right? And it's not necessarily when you first have sex because any sort of um, like physical traction or anything can break that, right? So mm-hmm. it's a social construct that mm-hmm. breaking the hymen means that you are no longer a virgin, right? Yeah. Well, even <laughs> like virgin that. is a social construct. construct. Yeah, virginity mm-hmm. is a social construct, okay? Mm-hmm. Because then, like, another thing that I think I've had a lot of um, conversations with, with my patients, a lot of my lesbian patients or, you know, who don't have penetrative sex, they're like, well, am I a virgin or am I not a virgin? Because Why does like, if we're talking about, yeah, exactly. If you're talking about penetrative sex, right? Like I haven't done that. And then I'm like, well, <laughs> that's why this is, that that is probably like this whole concept of virginity is something that we kind of need to divorce ourselves from because quite frankly, all types of, you know, um, like any type of sexual contact could be considered losing your virginity. Mm-hmm. And then like if you're using the hymen, which is literally a piece of tissue in your vagina as like mm-hmm. what is what makes you a virgin or not, like then walking down the street can cause you to lose your virginity at whatever age. You know what I mean? <laughs> Riding a horse can do that. Oh. Um, doing gymnastics can cause you to break your hymen. You know what I mean? So many things can cause it. So where do you draw the line? Where do you, like, where, like, what is virginity? Like, where, like, what does it all mean? Like, yeah. it's a very, a very heteronormative concept too, Super. you know? Because mm-hmm. that's the biggest thing that I have because it's like, really hard when we use that terminology with sexual activity, right? Because again, it's like, I ask my patients these questions, right? Are you sexually active? It's a very loaded question, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, well, 
if you consider being sexually active, active, having penetrative sex, right? Mm -hmm. Does oral sex count? Mm-hmm. Does anal sex count? Yeah. Like, you know, it's <laughs> all sex. Does it's a all hand sex. job count? You know, like mm-hmm. what counts? I don't know yeah. what counts. So I like to be very specific when I ask these questions. And then mm-hmm. also too, and not do it in a heter- heteronormative con- you know, construct too, mm-hmm. because you will miss out on opportunities to talk to your patients about and talk to people about things when you assume that sex is only penetrative penis yeah. and vagina sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I had no idea that you could lose your hymen just walking down the street or break yeah, your hymen. Like, I mean, lose it. It'd be an aggressive walk. <laughs> but- <laughs> Hey, I am a fast walker. I really am. I am a fast fucking walker. It's like, exactly. But it's like, it's hard to know too. You know what I mean? Because sometimes also people may not know, like may not believe when they first break their hymen as well. So that's the other thing. It's like, okay, like I can do an exam of someone with a vagina of any age, right? And notice that they don't have like, you know, like a hymen or their hymen is broken, right? Mm-hmm. But that doesn't have anything to do with sex or when they had sex. I couldn't yeah. tell I couldn't tell you when it happened or how it happened. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, the person can't tell you how yeah. it happened. And that's okay. Yeah. It's it's really um it's patriarchy right there. This whole emphasis on hymen and virginity, patriarchy and, and white supremacy. But um, yeah, that's wild. Um, I didn't know that the hymen fully worked like that. Um, and I guess I'm wondering too, like what kind of, like, I know most doctors don't receive like real uh, nutritional education, right? No, we but do like. Not. But like, and what about like sex education? Like I'm assuming as That's an OBG, another thing we don't get. <laughs> but I'm assuming as an OBG that there is more of that included or no? Somewhat. Yes and no. Yes and no. Okay. So like, I need it here. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. It's like, ooh, <laughs> ooh. <laughs> like exactly. So here. Oh, your volume just went out. I can't hear you. No? Yep, there you are. You're back. Okay, I don't know what happened with that. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I think it was my my Wi-Fi was like a little rocky. All right, but we're back. Yeah. So, yeah. So, it's like a little like... It's cringy, right? Like yeah. the fact, like the lack of um, education you get, not only in nutrition, but um, sex, right? So, like we do, kind of like your basic, like all docs get like a reproductive health um, rotation or what or a class in mm-hmm. med school, right? And then we all do an OBGYN rotation. But Western medicine is big on actual like here's a problem. Here's how we solve it. Like period. Right. Like it's not like, and then when there are too many gray areas, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think Western medicine gets like a little scared and they're like, we're just going to like, like gloss over and hope somebody else picks up, (laughs) picks up that slack. And Mm -hmm. so that's kind of how it happens. So in, in, in OBGYN residency where we, that's where you get trained to be in OBGYN, we do have more, um, education about it, but, you know, in terms of some of the disorders that people have in terms of like, like hypoactive, like, you know, sexual disorders, things like that. Mm Um, we don't get a lot of that. Like vaginismus? Vaginismus, again, it depends on the program, like the the residency program, how much of that you get. I actually got a lot of training with that because um, what was integrated in my residency program was a whole rotation where we spent time with a pelvic floor physical therapist. And so we actually helped them out with those assessments, learned how to do a good assessment for vaginismus, learned what types of... um, treatment courses that the pelvic floor physical therapist did with mm-hmm. um, their patients. But like, that's not 
the norm necessarily. So there's varying degrees of comfort depending on what um, doctor you see. Mm-hmm. Something that's nice is that on the horizon, I think those of us who are um, closer to our training are getting yeah. more information about that, but um, it's not the norm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's so disappointing. It is. It is. And I, and, but I think that there are also a lot of docs who are really interested in a lot of these things, especially those of us who are coming out of training or that are younger in our career. And a lot of times we take um, steps in addition to what yeah. we've been trained to do to learn about these things. So like mm-hmm. the best thing you can do and what I was taught in med school and residency, which I take to heart is that you should never stop learning. Like yeah. once you're done with your training, it shouldn't be like, all right guys, like what's school mm-hmm. for this? Cool. Like medicine is ever evolving ever changing. And we only get four years to learn like in, yeah. in residency and like for OBGYN, our residency is four years that's the time we learn the bulk of our stuff and that's just not enough time. So you have to keep learning. Yeah. Cause there's so much that could like the, just the vagina on its own, the vagina and the vulva, just like so many things can happen there. (laughs) There's so So much to learn just with that. Like so many things. And that's the reason why too, like also knowing your limitations. Right. Mm -hmm. So I always caution people to, um, be concerned. Like if you go to a doctor and they seem like they, they tell you they can fix it all. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like a lot of old school docs are of that sense of like, like, I'm just going to give you this stuff and I can fix it all. Like, (laughs) you know, I can do everything. We can't, we can't. The body is so complex and so insane. It, like, it's insane that we're able to yeah. function the way that we do. Yeah. Um, it, would be rem- it would be remiss for me to say that, like, I can take care of all of your vaginal complaints, that I can take mm-hmm. care of all of these things. You know what? Sometimes you have something that you may need a specialist whose only job is to take yeah. care of people who have vaginismus mm-hmm. or have chronic like dermatologic issues mm-hmm. of their vulva or, you know, have pelvic pain mm-hmm. or, you know, have fibroids or whatever. Sometimes it, it's nice to go to the specialist who knows how to do that thing. Mm-hmm. It's, and it's not necessarily your doc being like incompetent yeah. for sending you to a specialist. Yeah. They actually probably just want you to get your best shot of, yeah. of living your best life, honestly. And it's not that yeah. they're trying to just push you away. It's a lot mm-hmm. of times where it's like, listen, there, there are limits to what I can do for you. There's limits Definitely. to how I can take care of you. And this mm-hmm. person spent years additional, like yeah. of additional training, just learning about the vulva period. Mm-hmm. And they see every day, all day, different vulvar issues and they can help you better. Or with vaginismus, there's so, it's such a complex yeah. thing that you want somebody who spends their day just dealing with that Mm -hmm. problem. So I always tell people to be cautious of the doc who's like, I'm the jack of all trades. I can do it all. And I think I do it all well, because that means that you may be shortchanged in some way. If you have a, like, you know, if you have a specific concern Mm -hmm. and it's not cut and dry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and vaginismus is one I definitely want to do a future episode on. Um, But the, like, even just in talking about like the vagina and the vulva, there's so much cultural shame and stigma around even just saying the word vagina, honestly. Oh, and yes. there's so much uh, lack of awareness even on what the vulva is. So I'm wondering, you know, from nutrition to sex to like mental health training involved in like being an OBGYN of like how you do care and how you do you know, tend to patients who, you know, that's like one of the most vulnerable things is sticking your feet up on that damn thing and spreading your legs and scooting all the way down and scoot a little (laughs) bit more and just asshole and vagina straight up there in someone's face. Like that's Mm -hmm. a super vulnerable thing to do around something that probably feels uncomfortable or painful for you. And, you know, just 
I don't think I've ever seen a male OBGYN and I, I really don't know how comfortable I would even feel with doing that because at least with a female doctor, I'm like, well, you kind of know, you kind of know, like you, you, you probably have felt this weird sense of like shame or guilt around like having a yeast infection that, you know, is stupid and like, you shouldn't feel cause it's like natural and all of this, you know, but like, <laughs> there's just these, the, the, it just comes up. It's like, right. it's really hard to fight against, even when you are educated, even when you know, you know, what's happening, I think. Um, so I'm wondering how, like, either how you go about that in your practice or like what that looks like in your education? Well, one thing that I feel like through over time, I've gotten really good with because I'm also full disclosure, like the worst GYN patient ever. (laughs) I'm literally like sweating and stressed and like, yeah, like can't even can't even deal, um, and that's probably you know cultural things yeah. and like all of that, all because I suffer from the same things too. So it's like I think that also informs a lot of what yeah. I do. And to be fair, I have a lot of male colleagues who are amazing at like making people feel comfortable yeah. um, during their exams, just because you know. I feel like even for some of my male colleagues, they're like, this has to be really, really awkward for you. So Mm -hmm. they're like trying their hardest to make it as least like traumatizing and awkward as they can, you know? Mm -hmm. So for me, over time, I've realized a big thing to do is like have my patients set the ground rules, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is your space. This is your time. Like... If you don't want to do something, we don't have to do it right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like it, because to me, I feel like sometimes it's the rush. Right. And even the yeah. patients in their minds too. Like yes. I just have to get this done. Like I like, and then yeah. it, it creates anxiety. And when you have that anxiety, it actually causes your muscles in your vagina, mm-hmm. around your vagina, in your pelvic floor to tense yeah. up. And that causes more discomfort, pain, and all of that. And that feeds into all of the mental stuff as well. So sometimes for some patients, they're not ready to have like a full-on exam, that appointment, that first time they meet me. Because Mm -hmm. guess what? Like some people don't open their legs to like people they don't know the first time they meet them. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. And so I say, you know what, if you're not ready to have this portion of the exam this time, that's fine. We'll do, you know, you can come back and reschedule it. If there's any time in the exam, you feel uncomfortable, then Mm -hmm. we can also, you know, reschedule that portion. We'll just go up to wherever you're comfortable. Mm -hmm. I think that usually helps with a lot of it. And then I tell cheesy jokes and, you know, Mm -hmm. try to like make it light and like, you know, and Mm -hmm. then also read cues from people. It's like, I think pushing uh, too many times we push through things that are uncomfortable to just get them over with, whether it be doctors, patients, or just in general life. And I think in the GYN space, we need to be a little bit better about that. Like, Mm -hmm. You know, I think we should not really aim to push through like these uncomfortable exams or uncomfortable situations. Yeah. Well, and doing that, you're also then teaching your patients how to like initiate and honor their bodies and their boundaries in that as well, which is kind of a light bulb for me right now of like, yeah, your doctor's office you know, hopefully could be one of those first spaces as you're growing up to be able to learn how to honor your body through those kinds of conversations, through those kinds of questions um, of like what you're feeling comfortable with and what you're not feeling comfortable with and how to care for yourself in that moment and how to honestly also have respect from that other person as to Mm -hmm. what is good, going to be good for your body. Um, I've definitely definitely had experiences with doctors where it's just like, you can tell I'm super uncomfortable. And like, I'm even saying like, yeah, I'm really nervous. Like this makes me really uncomfortable. And they're just like, well, we're going to be quick. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. And it's bodily autonomy, right? We need to teach people that in all aspects, because it's like, if you exactly, if you don't feel that you have control over your body in 
like a doctor's office or, you know, or in a medical space, what's to say in another like part of your life or another place that you would feel Mm -hmm. also empowered to, you know, say no, things like that, you know, or like speak up for yourself. So I think it's so important that we teach that to people because also too, as I mentioned before, if I believe that whatever I'm doing is so important that I need to do it at this appointment, I should be able to tell that to you. Mm -hmm. And you understand that if, for example, it's uncomfortable. And after I've explained it to you, you're like, I still don't want to do that. I have to respect that. But what I, what I don't like is when it's like, you haven't thoroughly explained what's happening. And Mm -hmm. then it's something that can be uncomfortable for people. And then the patient is like, kind of, you know, saying, well, I don't know, like, and not feeling empowered necessarily to say, no, I do not want this. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you still like proceed anyway. And then I think that, and then usually the patient more so than the doc leaves that experience feeling upset or whatever. And they may not be able to verbalize it to the doc, but Mm -hmm. like, as I have told a lot of my colleagues, just look at my comments and you can read people's experiences and the harm that it causes Mm -hmm. and the distrust and the pain towards the medical system that it trusts, that that it it starts. So that's why I'm like, we have to be cognizant of what we do and you know what? And listen to people when they say, I'm not feeling this. I usually say, okay, we're going to stop right now. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, so, you know, what do you want to do? We can stop and be done with it completely today that's totally cool. Um, we can try again. It's up to you. There's no wrong answer here, Mm -hmm. you know? So, and then if they choose to be done, we're done. And it's not like, I'm going to be like passive aggressively being like, well, if you were allowed to do this, then we would know blah, 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 blah. Like not the, you know, just like truly honoring someone's decision. And Mm -hmm. I think that needs to be done more often in medical spaces. Yeah. Can you come down here and look at my vagina? <laughs> I mean, you know, or you can come up and visit me. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I say down. I'm like thinking like I'm back in Baltimore and you're like up, but I'm in Seattle. So I actually be like, yeah, I was like, aren't you? Here. <laughs> when I think of New York, I, I don't know. I just immediately like placed myself back in Baltimore. I lived there for like so eight years. funny. Um, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, come down from there. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's been so fantastic having you on. Um, can you share a bit about like where people can find you, where people can follow some of the work that you're doing and, you know, get an opportunity to kind of learn a little bit more from you? Cool. So I am on both TikTok and Instagram, primarily on Instagram. Um, my handle is at Dr. Heather Irabunda, MD. If you put Heather Irabunda, I come up. I'm the only one of me around. Um, and yeah, I do lots of like fun stuff, I think, like mm-hmm. talking about vaginas and vulvas and talking about periods and yeah. talking about things that are like sketchy, but like <laughs> what we need to know, guys. So come through, enjoy, join the chat. Yes. <laughs> it's a good time. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. All right, that does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for making it all the way through and keeping your ears, your hearts, and your minds open. It would mean so much to me if you could take a second or two after listening to this episode to leave a review on iTunes and let me know what you're enjoying about the show. I love reading you know, what your favorite episodes are, where you guys listen, um, and definitely feel free to share this with a friend. I mean, part of how we break down the stigmas around these topics is by talking about them, right? And, and sharing them with more people. So definitely share the podcast. Um, and again, really wanting to include all of you in this podcast. So if you have questions or you want to share a thought or an experience, please send in a voice memo to ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com. And I'm really excited to keep having these conversations and uh, breaking down these stigmas. So thank you all so, so, so much. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and I'll talk to you next time. Thank you.